Welcome to Everything Under the Moon with Mel and Stell. Hey. Hey, Mel. <laughs> I didn't know how to start and I resorted to that. I'm ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> There's a place in my hometown called Ray Myers Hollow. Uh, I used to go there as a kid. My family would stock trout with the IWLA, and we uh, stocked the little creek there called Cadoris Creek. But there's about 800 acres of really thick forest um, called Raymeyer's Hollow, and there's a home there that belonged to Nelson D. Raymeyer. And uh, Mr. Raymeyer was murdered in his home 100 years ago almost. And uh, Stella and I visited... Raymar's Hollow. Just recently, we went back to my hometown for a family event, and we had a really interesting experience there, and we're so, so excited to tell the story tonight. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was it was a trip to go out there and uh, see this hollow where this really, really gruesome murder took place. Um, it was definitely otherworldly for sure. And this place is full of mystery and intrigue and creepy feelings and hauntings and uh, weird experiences. Um, It's just kind of become famous for a paranormal place. And that's because of who Nelson Ray Meyer himself was. You know, he was was a witch, a powwower, a medicine man. And... uh, it ended up getting him killed. And it, it just, you know, this case gained national attention because it was essentially a witch hunt. Yeah, by other witches, yeah. which is super interesting. And w- men, you know, you always, all the witch, you know, most women killed in witchcraft, like like witch hunts where they hung witches, uh-huh. were women. Right. So. Yeah, it's just really interesting. You know, and growing up, I'll kind of get into this, but growing up, I didn't even necessarily know that. I had no idea how or why he was mur- he was murdered or what had happened. Uh, but um, the book Hex by Arthur Wells uh, tells the story of this murder and the trial really wonderfully. And that's our main source for our episode or our show tonight. Um and I had to buy this from secondhand books because um, I think it's out of print. So, but it's a great little book, and we really loved it. So, uh, that's our main that's our main source. Now, okay. how uh, far away did you live from Ray Myers Hollow when you were growing up? Uh, I moved around a little bit growing up, so I think the closest I ever lived to it was probably twenty minutes away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, we always lived out in the country, so, I mean, not that this place isn't in the country, but, it, you know, you'd have to see a map for it to make sense, because it's it's the East Coast, Pennsylvania, so it's sure. all, like, deer trail roads, they're all curvy. I should say, as a crow flies, how far away is yeah, it? That's what I mean, 20 minutes, as okay. a crow flies, probably driving, like, because you can take main roads to get there, kind of, but, uh, so anyway, yeah, about 20 minutes, so it was someplace... I mean, I went there often. We stocked trout there every spring. And my I had a friend, actually, who lived right up the street, like five minutes away. And we actually walked through Ray Myers Hollow one time uh, 
one summer to go swimming in the creek. It was actually mm. probably dangerously irresponsible <laughs> because now as an adult, I drove the road that I once walked on and I was like, oh my God, kids should not be walking on this road. Oh my oh, god! yeah, one lane road with no shoulder. Yeah, no shoulder Hair up a blind turns. hill. Yeah. <laughs> it was so. really wild. I was so lucky to get a chance to go with you and get to see that because that place like... You talked about how pumped you were to go there, and I was like, well, this is, like, kind of cool, but, I mean, you know, it's a hollow. Yeah. I grew up in a hollow, you know. Yeah. But this place, like, really, it's a it's a vibe. It's a very, very creepy place. And as soon as you start uh, making the turns toward that direction and the road has changed to, like, gravel, uh, it's just, it feels like, there is some sort of force field around that place. And like when you cross the barrier, the sounds of the outside world are muffled. Like the forest at that time was full of cicadas and and we could hear them from really far off, but it sounded like they were super far away, like on the other side of the hill Mm -hmm. from where we were when, you know, they should have been everywhere. Like, and it's dark. Yeah. It's dark. It's, it's so thickly shaded it's always that like it's, twilight. Yeah, it's exactly like that. Like it feels like a midnight sun type of vibe. And we got really disoriented when we were out there, even though you're normally like really, really prone to knowing which direction you're going. Yeah, we did get turned around at one point because it was really... Okay, so it was weird. Usually, like, so the legend I heard growing up was that you'd... If you went at night with your headlights off, then the street signs would change names or they would you know they would send you in circles but this was broad daylight Uh we were there in broad daylight at like 10 a.m on a saturday morning Mm -hmm. and we were trying to you know it is basically a square kind of Mm -hmm. to get in and out and they're doing some construction in the hollow the county is because it's a county park now right spring valley park and uh so we couldn't drive through but i thought we'd try to drive around to the other side because the other side has pavilions and some cool stuff Uh but we just got turned around and it didn't make any sense because we were coming we were you know we were going south and so we should have just been going you know it's like we drive past the road sign and see a turn and then we keep going and then we see the same turn again yeah it's like that (laughs) and it's like have i just not been home in seven years and i don't know where i'm going or you know, but we were following GPS. There's like only we like had a, one road, though. You know, like it's yeah, and we had a <laughs> GPS. But I remember seeing the same guy. Like, remember we drove by the same guy in his RV, like on uh-huh. top of it, and I was like, okay, either that guy is a projection in the Matrix, right? Or we're just lost. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, Ray Meyer is murdered in 1928, and the community seems to quickly forget about the whole debacle. It's not clear when the rumors of ghosts and eerie specters began, but uh, family members of mine have told stories that took place in the 70s and 80s, and I've been there, you know, in the early, the last 15 years. Somewhere along the years, our local collective mind had agreed that Raymire's dark magic created a place where many dark forces might come into play. Um, like I said, the road signs change at night. Smoke rises from the chimney from Ray Meyer's cabin, which is still standing. His original cabin he built in the early uh, 18th century, no, Mm -hmm. 20th century. Yes. Is still there. And it's boarded up. I think his 
his descendants still own the house, but it was locked while we were there. My dad said that sometimes you'll see a candle lit uh, on the uh, sill of the window inside. And uh, we're actually going to have my dad on for a part two on this series. And he's going to tell us an amazing story about a black dog, a kind of demon-like black dog that chased after a group of snowmobilers, some family friends of ours from the county. So, And that was in Ray Myers Hollow that that yep. happened? Wow. Yeah, they were snowmobiling through the hollow. Oh, I feel like seeing the black dog is like a yes. whole subject in and of itself. Oh, like we it's need a to whole, do a black dog. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like we could do like a, I would almost do that under a heading of like trucker urban legends yes that's because i feel one. like that's where it comes from yeah um but you it know it's interesting mm-hmm. i'm sorry it's interesting you say that because this family is in the transportation business they do own semis and buses and like they do stuff like that so i don't know yeah that's, that's where i always heard it from yeah and uh what you were talking about um when the legends and uh the haunted reputation may have been started and I want to say that it started before Nelson Raymeyer's murder. Um, I think the fact that he was a witch doctor or a powwower that they call in that region, um, which we'll get into what that is. Like we'll talk yeah. a little bit about like what those belief systems are around magic and healing and um, religion and how it all works together. But I think that um, he was a reputation. He had a reputation of being you know, different. And uh, all these legends about him, like doing these weird rituals in his basement. So I bet you from the time that he was living there, any kids that were around probably were afraid. Um, He was a surly, well, he seemed like he was a really surly, unlikable man. And there's all these stories, you know, lots of gossip about him doing rituals in his basement. And, you know, there seemed to be this air of fear around him. Of course, that could just be all in the retelling. Yeah, that's the vibe I get, maybe. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he was like a Ron Swanson type figure. I could see that. Who was very much like, get off my land. I want to be alone. I can totally see him being like a, and you see, in the community for sure. Yeah. And how that could turn into like an ogre of the yeah. swamp situation yeah. where he oh, becomes sure. this feared evil witch bog creature <laughs> that lives in the creepy hollow yeah that's never the sun never shines there yeah you know? so. and then this gruesome thing happens to him and it's just the perfect storm for an mm. for an urban legend so um you know i'm gonna ask you a question yes. should i do you think we should get into the story of the people in the murder right away or should i talk about pennsylvania dutch culture a little first i want to hear about the pennsylvania dutch culture first okay perfect so You know, this is a story about Pennsylvania Dutch culture. Um, The two men, the man who commits the murder, his name's John Blymeyer. He was um, a neighbor to Ray Meyer. And of course, their names sound similar. And that's no, that's not, uh, not a coincidence. They're both Pennsylvania Dutch descent. So Uh, the ethnic group, this is an ethnic group in South Central Pennsylvania, Um, that I belong to as well. All of my family are Pennsylvania Dutch. Um, And it's actually, the word Pennsylvania Dutch doesn't mean Dutch, it means German. But in German, the way you say I'm German is Deutsch. So Mm -hmm. that's how it kind of got uh, bastardized. Is that a bad word to use? Nope. 
Okay. Um, or maybe that's co-opted. Good, right? Okay, <laughs> we're taking it back. <laughs> uh, but these are that's how German immigrants would have described themselves. So that's what we call them. Um, they came from the Palatinate mostly, which was a German, uh, like a pre-Germany country in Germany in the 17th and 18th centuries. They were mostly Lutherans who were escaping religious, uh, or sorry, seeking religious asylum, and they found the fertile river valleys of southern Pennsylvania welcoming. Um, you know, William Penn tried to make Pennsylvania a place where people could practice freedom, so like the Quakers also came there. And um, this is the same group of people that the Amish and Mennonite communities kind of descend exactly. from. Exactly. That's my main association when I hear Pennsylvania Dutch. It's yes. the language that the Amish people speak. Yes, they still speak it. And um, they are obviously a closed society. But at one point in Pennsylvania until eight, the 1850s, schools and businesses in this area spoke standard German regularly. I mean, people were fluent in it. And at home, they spoke Pennsylvania Dutch. And I actually read this really interesting paper as I was researching the Pennsylvania Dutch stuff um, from, what is the freaking college of the name? I feel like I should shout out the professor, but I can't remember the name of the college. It'll come to me. Local place. Cutsdown University. There we go. He did. He got gave all me all this information. I'm being crazy right now. I need to hold on and pause. I love it. Okay, good. Um he wrote a great paper about the culture and how it originated and how it mixed and, you know, melted together with other cultures in Southern Pennsylvania. But essentially Pennsylvania Dutch is probably a more direct language right from Germany than standard German is, you know, because we create really? standard languages. Ling yeah, like a linguist said that we create standard languages from dialects. You know, we take all the dialects and we create something that we can teach and that we can, um, spread and that's how standard languages become a thing so it makes sense that they're teaching standard german but speaking dutch um pennsylvania dutch so i just thought that's really cool and the language is really close to yiddish that's that, interesting yeah isn't that cool like a linguistic mm -hmm. cousin i think to i'm i don't speak this language obviously and i think it to me it sounds a little bit like german with a lisp <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you I know, think that like in, in a, mix, a yeah. mix with English. Mm -hmm. um, I've never learned the language, but my great grandfather spoke the language. So that's about I'm about three generations removed from it, which is really common. And we'll talk about that. I love the idea that cultures like slowly died out around this time in the 60s and 70s because we developed like TV communication and that created a like global culture. And the global culture overtook the local cultures, you know, because you're only speaking a language when everyone around you speaks it. And it just became so unused. So anyway. And uh, yeah, that was a really fun aside. That This is Good. like the kind of minutiae that I love to hear about. Good. I'm um, just glad. So they came they came over to uh, be able to practice religious freedom and... Um, so basically, like, this is the area that we're talking about, like, one of the very early settlers. Yeah. So this group of people, mm -hmm. you know, that actually had been long settled in this area. Yeah. John Blymeyer's, like, great-great-grandfather or something had bought the farm in the 1700s. They actually, it's cute, the book, not cute, but interesting, the book says, like, they couldn't even remember 
his that guy's name, right? Like mm-hmm. that's not that crazy. It's so far back, but you know, this culture is really deep and we can't hope to get into all of it in this hour and I hope to God that I do not offend very proud Pennsylvania Dutch people because I am one of you but I am I'm woefully, you know, uneducated so other than the food traditions. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wait, what about the food traditions? Oh, it's just real good food. I like mean, what? Tell me about sauerkraut. Sauerkraut's mm. Pennsylvania Dutch. Um, Fosnots. What's that? It's like a donut. I'm trying to think of other food. What's that? Chicken food, pot though? pie. Oh, I gotta make you chicken pot pie because it's not chicken, chicken pot, pot pie. pie. It's soup. Oh, it's soup with dumplings in it, but they call it chicken pot pie because it's chicken and basically pot. the same thing. Yeah, but it's oh, it's so good, so good. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, red beet eggs. Oh, mm. we need to go back to Pennsylvania. You ever have pickled eggs? That's what they are. They're pickled. That's what you okay. That I red beets too. Never heard it. But I love pickled eggs so much. They're so good. Oh. Yeah, they're delicious. We I found out that. eggs. Oh, yeah. We'll pickle some of my hen's eggs this winter. Oh. And we're back. Thanks, Del. No problem, Mel. <laughs> uh, so another um, finishing up talking about Pennsylvania Dutch culture. You're all right, girl. Thanks. I don't think anyone's going to. I'm playing the spring xylophone. okay calm down spring xylophone that's some sweet pick in there sister oh thanks sorry i couldn't come up with an accent (laughs) on the fly (laughs) so little girl came but you tried and that's all that's all that matters it is not really e for effort okay you need to know about powwow before we start and stell started talking about this already um, and powwowing in Pennsylvania Dutch culture is essentially witchcraft. Uh, people uh, perform small rituals meant to cure illness, remove curses or hexes, and it's called trying on patients, tr- like as in trying to heal them. Although the idea of witchcraft and magic is generally pagan, these powwowers are orthodox and usually Lutheran. So that's pretty interesting. And right. it might play into why it's so welcomed socially i mean these people are announcing their practice with uh shingles actually with their names painted on it on their doors so right it's not something they hide um it's usually sympathetic magic and uh, if you don't know what sympathetic magic is it's just something you use uh when you use representative objects to manifest your intentions so Mm -hmm. i might you know fill up a cup with water and say you know, as the cup fills, so does my cup of energy or something. I don't know. It's that kind of thing. Yeah, with Bible verses, like relevant Bible verses and passages and signs mm-hmm. of the cross. And of course, the most important requirement is faith. Yeah. On both, on behalf of the healer and the sick. Yeah, you have to believe that it will work and it will work. And that's, this is what I love about witchcraft is that. That works. That yeah. works. Yeah. That's real. Yeah. That's the placebo effect. And yeah. before we even had a name for it, that was real. And so if you truly believe that something is working, like a medication or a healing ritual, then it will probably work, regardless of whether you know it's a placebo effect or not. Our bodies are just crazy. Yeah, I love that. And um, I know the tradition is passed down in generations and 
um, your number in the lineage has mm. a significance. Like if you're the seventh son of the seventh son. Yeah, what's this obsession with seven? I thought that was an interesting number. That's another biblical tie-in. Is it? Okay. Mm-hmm. That's thought to be God's number. Like 777 oh. is God's number and 666 is the number of the devil. I never knew that. Yeah. So that's where that comes from. Okay, well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, the magic is pretty interesting and... You know, it involves a lot of like eggs and stones and wool yarns. You can tell that it's a it's a practice developed by a rural type of people, mm-hmm. um, and I love that. Yeah, and for and for these people, you know, out in that area of Pennsylvania, you know, hexery is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hexes and curses and you know things like that are very real and yeah. uh you know the powwow might be somebody that you go to to either put a hex on somebody or to have a hex removed so there's a lot of different ways of practicing and they have a few different books that they like to use and different in a different hollow they might focus heavily on one of several books instead of another and practice in a slightly different way um, but one of the first tests to see if you have like the touch or the shine or the power is to see if you can stop blood. So like that's mm-hmm. the first test is uh, and, and no one can tell you how to do it. And in some circles, they believe that a man can never teach another man and a woman can never teach another woman that it has to be like a cross gender thing that man teaches woman, woman teaches man. And um, in the first test, if they can't stop blood, then that means that they don't have the power. And that also became like um, an insult or like a burn yes. against a, um, a powwow or a witch would be to say like, well, they can't even stop blood. So, yeah. Um, and it's interesting that this was so common that that was a thing. Like they had insults yeah. for each other. It's like this was this was so widespread. And I wanted to quote the book. Real quick, because, uh, well, or Lewis, did I call him Arthur Wells? (laughs) I don't remember. Hex by Arthur H. Lewis. I definitely called him Wells because I was thinking Orson Wells. Uh, This is quoting the New York Evening World in 1929. uh, And the county coroner, this was, yeah, told to the county coroner, at least half of the 60,000 residents of the city of York believe in witchcraft. And as for the country's urban population of 90,000, they not only believe in witchcraft, but guide the minutest details of their lives by it. So I think that's really telling. Um, You know, witchcraft isn't always necessarily hocus pocus. It's a lot of ritual and how you live your life. And that was obviously really strong in this culture. Yeah, and I actually, I made a note. One example of like an illness that they might try for was called wildfire Mm. um or eripsilas is the best like eripsilas Mm -hmm. that's the best way i can think of to pronounce it and i did look that up and it is like a form of cellulitis that's caused by a bacterium Um, but it's usually on the outermost layer of skin and it will create like a rather large welt um on whatever area of the skin it is and it usually accompanies with fever and other signs of infection. Um, Interesting. So, yeah, it is a skin infection, but it's a skin infection that affects the outermost layer and is usually um, in patches. So, like, one of, that was one of the things that was often tried for. And how you would do that is you would do the sign of the, co- the cross, like, three times over each area. And there was a chant 
and, and you, so you do the sign of the cross three times while you do this chant. Wildfire and the dragon flew over a wagon. The wildfire abated and the dragon skated. I love that. <laughs> so, and it's You can try that at home now. <laughs> it's so simple. That's what I love about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just... It feels nostalgic to me. That's what I'm. That's what I'm sitting here reminiscing about. Being I don't know. It's because I'm feeling nostalgic for like my nana's cooking. Because that's what Pennsylvania Dutch means to me. It's almost this disconnect between the hexery and the, the witchcraft and stuff and what I grew up with because it was so far removed, you know. Yeah. But I wanted to say I wanted to tell real quick the story of Mountain Mary. Okay, she oh, was a yeah. really cool. Yeah, you remember she was a witch. Uh, in the Pennsylvania Dutch tradition, uh, a brockerei, they called them, which is German for fixer or something, I think, brockerei. And this is actually a story that my dad had thought was about Raymire's Hollow. So this was in my childhood lore. I very much thought that owls were a part of the lore at Raymire's Hollow. And if you saw owls flying through the hollow, it was supposed to be Raymire's ghost coming back to watch um, because he had heard the story that is actually Mountain Mary's that an owl every morning was drinking milk out of uh, her milk pa- milk pail. And one morning she caught the owl and burned its feet over her co- the coals in the fire in the hearth. And the next morning her neighbor was uh, badly burned on her feet and could not walk. And oh, so that's yes, how she discovered that. that her neighbor was a transforming witch and had been drinking her fresh milk. So my dad had always told me that that's what they did to Raymire was that they caught him while he was an owl and burned his feet. Now he flies. But uh, but it's interesting, I, you know, generational perspective. You can see how things get skewed that way. And, you know, no shade to my dad because he's awesome. And it's a great like, story. You, you know, so like this in this little bit of the world, you know, the belief in witchcraft is prevalent. It is the majority um, you know, it is a world of superstition. It is a world of hexery. It is a world of um, enchantments and incantations and curses. And this is the world in which John Blymeyer grew up. So let's talk about John Blymeyer uh, for a little bit. John Blymeyer grew up near Raymeyer on a family farm, and he was a generational powwower, like you said. His great-grandfather had settled the land, and Blymeyer was born with a gift, as his father and grandfather were. And I believe that, so, yeah, okay, you already said that. He's the son of a seventh son of a seventh son. Right. And that is cool. You know, Robert Todd, uh, like Robert Smith Todd, Mary Lincoln's father, (laughs) he Uh was a seventh son. I don't know. (laughs) I always think of that. I'm like, did he have powers incantations no doubt was he seeing emanations it's pretty much guaranteed that he did by our flawless logic i mean obviously all right uh and it wasn't an so let's talk a little bit about blymeyer um they detail him a lot obviously because he's the man who commits the murder with and has the intent to murder raymeyer um and he actually worked for Raymeyer as a child. He picked some potatoes for him, but that was their real only connection. This was not a close family connection with the man. And somewhere around 19, Blymeyer's life started to take a turn for the worse. Um, his health just kind of went downhill. He started to become anxious and sickly. And Can I say this too really quick? Sure, of course. So like just physically, he was like very much an Ichabod Crane kind of character. Like just oh, so that while that we're... 
so I'll, I'll explain to um, So very much like uh, I, I wanted to give a physical description for the listeners because there was actually one provided of like what he looked like yes. when he was being sworn in in the courtroom. Yeah, yeah. And it was said that he looked like a prehistoric bird. A little malnourished, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, like, that's just, that was his kind of physical description. So, unfortunately, he didn't have that going for him. Yeah, whereas, you know, Raymar was, uh, I'll quote the book again, he was a powerfully built man. He weighed more than 200 pounds and was well over six feet tall with broad shoulders. I mean, this was uh, a tough man. Sounds like a Paul Bunyan type. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, he sounds kind of cute. Yeah, really. But his personality didn't seem to be so cute according to the people that lived around. But, you know, there's two sides to every story. I can imagine what kind of neighborhood I could move to and everybody would be like, you know, I mean, I would be like that disliked (laughs) figure. (laughs) That jerk. Or be like, you know, that liberal or whatever. Yeah. Um, You know, I'm kind of into the gruff. I don't know. He seems like a Ron Swanson type. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So where was... Oh, we should talk a little bit about Blymeyer's IQ because I don't know how accurate IQs, if they mean anything today, Mm -hmm. you know, or how accurate they are. But Lewis, you know, he wrote this book in the 60s and he took a lot of stock in it. And they tested Blymeyer's IQ and it was somewhere around 70, 80. Um, I think 77 was the actual number. Now I really want to find it, but I I know it's not not doable. Um, yeah, I was thinking that he was somewhere like in the Forrest Gump region. Like that yeah. would be a really good way to think about it is like they, you know, that's about the intelligence that we're dealing with here. Yeah, they said, you know, average slow, but maybe on the lower end of average slow, mm-hmm. if that means anything. So, which, which we rep- we present this as like mitigating circumstances you know, to understand. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. You yeah, know, you shouldn't judge Blymeyer by <laughs> yeah. this, but you do need to understand how he's perceiving. It's contextual. Yes. Oh, I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Blymeyer is also a powwower. Um, he's not super successful. So Raymeyer, there's actually a story of Raymar curing John, you know, as a boy um, because he had obnemia, the wasting away, which is actually malnutrition. Um and Raymeyer told them to uh, make him pee in a pot before sunrise, then boil an egg in his urine, bore three small holes in it with a needle, and carry it to an ant hill made by big ants. John will be better as soon as the egg is at. Yep. So it says by spring the child had recovered. So, uh, that's... so they'd had like somewhat of a relationship kind of all, yeah, throughout, I I forgot that. all throughout his life. Yeah, it's crazy uh, how close they had to have been and that he went to this level. You know, so it was an uncommon belief that a powwower held the ability to hex other people. And a hex was kind of like a curse, but it, it generally affected all parts of your life. You know, your livestock goes sick, your your wife burns the biscuits. <laughs> I don't yeah, make stuff up. It's like the full job treatment, like you lose yeah. everything. When, when it rains, it pours, you Yeah. Know? Um, and Blymeyer believed around 19 years old that he had been hexed by somebody. Um, his wife left him after he accused her of hexing him. <laughs> he thought that it was her. And she thought she thought that he was going to kill her. Yeah. Because, like, this had been going on for a few years at that time. And, like, he had been visiting, like, various powwowers, which why why he didn't go to, to Raymeyer first. 
about this. Like, I wonder, yeah. you know, like I would think with their relationship and how they knew each other growing up that he would think of him first. But he spends his whole life going to a bunch of different ones. And several of these uh, powwowers tell uh, Bly Meyer that the hex was that he does have a hex on him indeed, that they can see it and that mm. it was somebody close to him. And yes. then another yet another one said like what the letter like a letter from their name um, or something. And then, you know, this he started to like kind of turn on his wife and then she ended up leaving him because she literally thought that he was going to kill her to break the hex. Because yep. actually, you know, like this for some reason, this murder became very famous. And maybe that's because Ray Meyer was a witch himself. And that adds intrigue. But like killing somebody because you believed that they had put a hex on you was not unheard of at that time. In fact, it seems like it had happened a lot. Yeah. And in was previous generations before this and might have been undocumented purposefully, yeah. like Could purposely be. strewn. They talk a little bit in here, I think, too, about children's deaths. Yeah. And how there are children's deaths that people didn't seek out, like, actual medical help. They just went to powwows and the kids died. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's the theme a little bit of the story, too, is they believe so hard in this powwow. And because the powwow requires your 100% belief, they don't seek any other help out. And you, they kind of get stuck in this loop of it becomes like a faith healing, Mm -hmm. you know, and and like then, you know, that becomes an issue because you have to wonder, like, of course, there's going to be plenty of hucksters like out there that are out to make like a fast time. And I mean, it makes sense, too, because, you know, out rural areas are always, you know, more poverty stricken, more economically depressed. And it makes Mm -hmm. sense, you know, that that uh, it might behoove you to say, yeah, I'll put a hex on somebody for two dollars. Yeah, and that's what these people are doing. They're charging, you know, a couple dollars here and there to fix people's illnesses. And it's usually not a one-stop thing. It's usually you have to come back two or three times to really fix your issue. And it's, I don't believe that all of these people are tricksters and doing it to make money off of people. But uh, Lewis talks clearly about a couple people who are doing it, you know, to scam money out of people and... Whether they really believe it or not, they're not helping things. Yeah, and many times they'll say, oh, you're going to need continued treatment. Like, I'm going to mm-hmm. have to, like, you could go see one of them and they would, you'd say, they'd say, you have a curse on you. And in order for you to heal it, you're going to have to come back and see me twice a week for six months mm-hmm. uh, to do continuous work. And then, you know, they would even say, like, they don't take money up front, but those people that get treatments, like, are compelled, you know, to donate yeah. to them anyway. Yeah, so it's like, no, that con can be drawn out for a long time. But John, so John was, you know, from the age 19, he felt like he was cursed, right? Yeah, and, he generally is kind of sick. He he can't keep work. And uh, he actually, another powwower tells him that he needs to leave his home farm because he's hurting the people around him. So he moves. He moves to York in, in the city and lives there for basically the rest of his life. And I thought that was really sad. That was actually a really yeah. sad part of the book because I really think something that might have helped this man was the support of his family. I mean, his grandfather and father were still alive. Like, why is he not with them? And how could, I mean, how could further isolating yourself is mm-hmm. what I'm Further isolating yourself is not going to make you feel any less cursed. Yeah, and I believe... <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I'm just at the end of the day, you know, like that, that seems like really bad advice. 
Um, but he, this search, he went on a maddening search and he was desperate. And I think he probably reeked of desperation as he yeah. was going from like powwower to powwower, trying to like get help. Getting and recommendations. And like there was even a time, right, when he felt like the curse was lifted for a little yes. while. And then it came back. Yeah. And, and, um, and then, you know, so he. Yeah, and he, he finally, he supposedly the woman who told him who had cursed him was this powwower who actually had stopped her practice and she was and like a 90 year old woman and she told him that it was ray meyer and it's interesting because there's never the book doesn't ever give a reasoning or blymeyer himself never said a reason why he thought ray meyer might have hexed him but he was absolutely sure that he had done it and that speaks a little bit i think to his intelligence level and his problem solving and maybe analytical skills um, but I don't, I think maybe what he might've thought was that Ray Meyer, someone had paid Ray Meyer to hex him. Right. Cause that's what they do. Right. Yeah. Like, and I think that's a whole part. Of I mean, what you everybody were was paying everybody to hex everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's like what you were saying, like, uh, that's, that's why he went and killed him because he couldn't just approach him because he knew Ray Meyer was going to, Ray Meyer was going to say, well, someone paid me to do this and I'm not going to take it back. Well, he didn't you know? even bother to ask. And like, I'm, I just thought it was really strange. First of all, how could he go his, I have questions. How <laughs> go could he it. go, how could Ray Meyer have a relationship with this kid? Like as a child, see him growing up, live nearby, is a neighbor, does work for him, the neighbor kid. Mm -hmm. Like, how could he hex him? First of all, that's the first one. But let me ask the okay. second one as well. I want them both together. And then how could John not see it? And how would that not be one of the top three, first top three people that you would think of? And how would his suppo allegedly very powerful father and grandfather not see it? Because that's what got right. me. Like right away, because his father and grandfather are stricken by this too. Like their farm is suffering. And they all try to figure it out and they can't tell either. And I just don't know how much I... I, I don't believe that Raymeyer had actually hexed him. That's just what I believe. But I do think Raymeyer probably hexed people, mm -hmm. other people. Um, I I think that he had mental illness. And there is a part in the, the book where he talks to a psychologist who had briefly talked to Raymeyer, uh, or sorry, Blymeyer, about his hex. You know, Blymeyer is seeking any kind of help he can, and he actually does go see a real doctor because they find him crazy at one point, right? Doesn't yeah, he... there was, uh, it, it was, he got like, he he was tested or evaluated like three times or something. And mm -hmm. it was something like he passed one, failed one, passed one or something. I forget what he did though. Did he beat someone up or steal something? He did something. And they... After he was arrested? Or what do you mean? No, that like... He'd previously been in trouble with the yeah. law? And he had gone, they actually put him in an insane like an insane asylum yeah. and he just walked out and was an escapee oh yeah i remember and like because of their like really shoddy record keeping yep they didn't even like no one ever even went looking for him or anything or even realized he was really gone yeah and, and as long as he didn't get in trouble there was no reason to like track him down i guess so yeah except for this <laughs> except <laughs> when he mean, tried to murder someone yeah except then i mean that well what a horror what a horror movie mm-hmm so, uh, you know, John searches for Raymire for years, 
And in his search, he actually meets a young man named John Curry. Uh, I'm going to call him Curry so that we can keep the John separate. Um, and he's a very young man. He's 14 when he meets Blymeyer. And I think that Blymeyer is renting us a, a room in a house next door to where Curry lives. And he has kind of a rough home life. His mother is working constantly and his stepfather is an alcoholic and very abusive. And so John, or sorry, Curry kind of finds a lot of friendship in Blymeyer, who also, you know, didn't have a lot of friends. So. The story was really sad. It was. It he was like... someone where, like, I think they should have looked at the adults in that situation and said, all of you all are responsible for telling, like, this kid what to do. And, like, we'll get a little more into mm -hmm. it when we actually go through the murder, like, once we're done introducing the yeah. cast. But, um, and just to be clear, when I've been saying John, it's because Blymeyer and Raymeyer is... Like, she's so saying Blymeyer, I'm saying John, because the names are too similar to me mm -hmm. for me to keep them. So I want you guys to know, just when you hear Blymeyer, you hear her saying Blymeyer, me saying John, the same yeah, person. Let's, let's and then just... Curry is the 14-year-old boy. Okay, let, let's sum one more time. So uh, Nelson Raymeyer, mm -hmm. he is murdered. John Blymeyer, he's the murderer, mm -hmm. man who thinks he's hexed. And John Curry is his friend. Yeah, good call. I should use John. I take, I, I have an issue with calling him a friend when he's 14. You don't think of 14? And, and it, John Blymeyer's an adult. You don't think so? I mean, in a normal situation, sure, that would be absolutely fine. But then in a context of a murder, I feel like it's almost a grooming situation or something, like a, a violent grooming. The only reason I don't look at it negatively, I guess, is because they were friends for years oh, before they true. came to think about murdering him okay. i don't that's my only what's their right. age difference you're right i'm not entirely sure i know it's at least 10 years 12 i'm just very i feel like out of everybody he got john curry got the worst deal mm -hmm. and it's really really sad and i wonder how he would be treated differently today or if he would be treated differently or like how things in, in general would have played yeah. out today because I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But the whole all of those trials were kind of a trial by media and sort of a travesty and a speedy. They were just, you know, it was a shit show. And I believe Curry. Well, we'll talk about this at the end at the end. We'll leave it for the end. Yeah, I think we should um, talk about like the night of the murder. Well, let's take let's talk about the last guy. And then oh, yes, I'll get into the story of it. So uh, the last guy is Milton J. Hess, and he is a, sorry, he is a neighbor of Raymeyer and Blymeyer's as well, and the Hesses also believe that they have been hexed, so their farm isn't producing, um, they can't find work. Originally They're, intending you know, people are to take a lock sick, of Raymeyer's kind of hair thing. or a copy of The Long Lost Friend, which was the witchcraft bible of a powwower. Blymeyer had been to the famous witch a few counties over, like I said, who uh, told him that this is how he would break the hex. He would take, either take a lock of his hair and bury it six to eight feet underground or burn a copy of his book. They never really intended to murder Raymeyer. That's not what they told him to do. That's not what other powwows uh, wanted him to do. And uh, they brought lengths of rope with them to the scene to tie him up so that they could cut his hair. Um, when they arrived at Raymeyer's home, after being dropped off that night in the dark, he wasn't home, and they marched up the hill to his wife's farm where she lived. 
and uh, asked her where he was, and she said something about someone who he was uh, casually seeing in the night, and that he might be home by this time. So they exasperatingly trudge back down into the dark hollow to Raymire's cabin, and when they arrive, there's only one candle lit upstairs. They uh, knock and knock and knock, and finally the old man opens the door, and like we said, he's a hulking figure, and he's a little intimidating, but he invited them into the parlor right away because, like we said, he knows these men except for John Curry. He, he had known Milton and John. Yeah, like ever since they were little boys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Back when they were digging potatoes. That's so sad. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually, after just some small talk, Raymire goes to bed. And uh, offered to, you know, he said, you can sleep on the floor, and uh, go to bed, or, you know, have a light if you want, but I'm going to sleep. And uh, they started to search the house for the the long-lost friend. And they couldn't find it. So, Blymeyer's getting anxious. You know, 30 years of misery and bad luck is going to come to an end soon. Wait a second, though. Um, One thing about when they were looking for the book... Mm-hmm. I think that someone had, like, several people had suggested, like, well, clearly it's in his basement. Yeah. You know, it's in the basement. But mm-hmm. for some reason, they don't go down yes. there and look for it. And didn't you that, think that was so weird? That made me so exasperated. Like, why did you not? I don't, I vaguely remember thinking, like, oh, it might have been locked, you know, or because there's, like, a cellar door, too, from the outside. Uh-huh. But that was also locked. I don't know if they said that the inside one was locked, though. But, like, he sees it. I wonder like if Blackmire that was... says he sees it on the floor. I wonder if that is one of the reasons that they question the motive later mm-hmm. later on, because they did, and we'll get to that. But, you know, I wonder if, like, that's something that, you know, if they're sitting down and having an investigation, they say, well, wait a second, if you knew it was in the basement, or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah, if it was here, why didn't you just do that? I don't know if that just speaks to Blymire's, like, again, low intelligence, like, his problem-solving skills, like, he probably just wanted to get to the source, maybe. Like, that's what I took from it, at least, was that he mm-hmm. was, in his excitement, just gotta get to the source of this freaking hex. I gotta stop it right now, and this guy's right here. But, yeah, that was exasperating. So they look for it. They can't find it. They realize they're gonna have to resort to the lock of hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they awake Raymeyer from his sleep and demand the book. And that's what they called it, the book, mm-hmm. the book. And um, Raymeyer kind of knowingly questioned them, like, what book are you talking about? I don't understand, wink, wink, nudge, mm-hmm. nudge. Um, like, and no, kind I don't know a, what you pulled me over for. <laughs> yeah, except what was I speeding, sir? Uh, you know, Raymeyer kind of knowingly, he's like, oh, fine, take it. And he takes his pocketbook out of his back pocket and throws it at the men. And, you know, Blymeyer's like, that's not what I'm talking about, bitch. <laughs> not really. <laughs> He's like, you know what I'm talking about and give it to me. And, um, you know, Raymeyer didn't give in. And so Blymeyer attacked him. And they, you know, from what the men told the police officers who were taking their confessions, they think that they basically fought and grappled with him on the floor for an hour. An hour, yeah. In a fight to the death on the floor of the parlor. It and took that, three men an hour to kill him. Yeah. Oh, that's terrifying. I mean, mm-hmm. that's like the brutality, like as people who don't face violence, you know, like that's the brutality and I then, cannot imagine. In the end, doesn't, or like uh, at some point, John Curry 
picks up a large object and bashes him over the head with it. Yeah, at one point they get his hands tied mm-hmm. and he's on the ground and Ray Meyer is trying to, I think he's trying to get a lock of his hair and they're just not succeeding. And so Curry picks up a block of wood, like a big chunk of wood off the fire and hits him on the head with it a couple times. And they, he just starts bleeding profusely from the head and they just know that he's dead. Um and Blymeyer stood up over Raymar's cold body and exclaimed, Thank God the witch is dead. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it makes you think that maybe he did go there <laughs> with the intention of killing him. Although he wasn't the one who did it. Um, I don't know. It's a little scary. I wonder if... Oh, this might be a little I think off then, beat, like, at the I end of if, it, pretty much... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I wonder if... John Curry was having some trauma. You know, if he's experiencing... He's got an abusive stepfather. I wonder if that was a traumatic situation for him and that his panic response was to kill And aren't man. the other two men, like, nearly twice his age? Yeah. Yeah, Curry is 14. Ray Meyer is in his 50s or 60s. Okay, so even more so, yeah. Yeah, and Bly, I think Blymeyer and Milton are both in their 30s, 40s. Yeah. I just don't think that kid should have been tangled up in any no. of this. It's really sad. And I think his mother says something to that effect. She says something. Really I mean, sad. if that 14-year-old nowadays, if that 14-year-old did anything else, it would be the parents. You know, like Yeah, or he, pretty would, get, much he like, would get off, you know, with some type of like mm-hmm. re- rehabilitative program rather right. than just jail for life. Or I don't think he actually went to jail for life. I'm pretty sure Curry yeah, is the one I, who... Eventually, some some better form of justice was served, but yeah. it never really sat well with me. No, and it... I mean, I don't know. It's just sad that these men were scarred by it. But basically, like, right after that murder, they go home and then... No, they... Well, they raid the house. Oh, okay. They raid the house. Like, they overturn the furniture. They pull up floorboards. That's Still right. Still no word <laughs> on whether they tried to get in the floor or in the basement. Yeah. Um, but they don't, you know, they can't find it. They can't find the book. Um, and so they take, you know, the, huh, we're, we're here. So they take some of his money, you know, and he had a whole $1 and something in change. Yeah, it was like almost $2. Yeah, yeah. like, uh, you know, and this is the 1920s. Hold on, I need to do this now. And, like, they were kind of celebrated. There was, like, an air of celebration, too. So it was almost like the winner's spoils. You know, yeah. they were like, we killed the witch, and we're going to take his stuff, and he ruined my life anyway, so fuck this guy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so $1 is worth thirteen forty six today, so yeah. they stole about 30 bucks. It'd cool. Be, you know, it'd be a murder for 30 bucks. Mm-hmm. And they did very much celebrate they had this air of confidence you know they knew that the hex was gone Blymeyer even says that he can immediately feel you know the the relief and the stress away and I don't know it just sounds like a like a heaping mental illness to me (laughs) yeah you know um it's just really sad so they uh take the money and then they attempted to conceal the murder they douse Raymar's body and uh, cover him in his mattress. They also douse that in kerosene. And the men try to burn the house down and they, they walk out. Um, they leave the house about sunrise. And so they were there all night, you know, basically fighting for their life and then uh, searching the house. Uh, it was a braying mule the coming Monday morning that alerted Raymar's neighbors three days later. 
Upon mm-hmm. discovery, they found their friend soaked with kerosene and half charred. Uh, but despite the men's efforts, the house had not burned down. And that was mm-hmm. a spooky part of the legend. I mean, it still up. looks fine, too. Like, yeah. you go by it this day, it looks absolutely fine. It looks totally normal. Mm-hmm. Like, it barely even burned the floor, I think. I yeah. Mean, and that was a part of the lore that, like, you know, his so power strange. and his magic <sighs> had kept his body from burning so that the men might be might be served justice for their crime. Wow. And I'd believe it. I think you've got some power beyond the grave, but who knows? Um, it was incredibly easy for the police to find their subjects, suspects. Ray Meyer's wife told them about their late night inquiry and arrested all three of them in the coming days. Shockingly, all three of men admitting to the crime. Blymeyer admitted that his motive for the murder was selfish. He wanted to rid himself of the hex that had plagued him for over 20 years, and he believed uh, that Ray Meyer was the one who had done that to him. Uh, Blymeyer carried himself with confidence and never once during his confession or the entire trial trial does he ever express like remorse or regret or even looks like he feels bad about it. And that plays into also like his entire outlook on this, you know, like he's like, it doesn't matter because I achieved my goal because he has to believe. Right. Or it won't work. Absolutely. (sighs) (laughs) So what do you think? That's the. That's the gist of it. That's I mean, they happened. confess right away. And uh, I think it's really interesting. The so, house didn't burn down. I really want to know why the heck. Then, uh, I mean, yeah. The fact that the house didn't burn down, even though it was doused with kerosene and, like, there's a mattress there. And, like, you know that's, like, a 1920s-ass mattress. Mm-hmm. It's probably got and straw in it's it. it's a wood cabin. Yeah. I, I mean, it's tinder. Yeah. You know? and <laughs> Yeah. And it's... Uh, it's interesting that I don't know. I just need a second. <laughs> I just just need a second. I can't get the image of someone beating someone with a block of wood over the head to death. That kind of hit me real hard at ten at night. I don't know why. Oh, I mean, it's really sad. I mean, he had daughters. He had like two daughters. But yeah, and his ex-wife lived like. Well, she was still his wife. They yeah. Were, oh, oh, okay. They, they never married, separated, but, separated, but they, they lived separately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they, they were, like, and, pretty amicable. You know, they though. lived separately because... They were still friends, though, too, right? And they called on each other still. Yeah, they were still friendly, and they, like... You know, he saw his kids and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she just lived right up the street. But she left because he was always practicing magic in his basement. And she <laughs> said that. She was like, he's always in that darn basement doing the hexing. You know, whatever. The book he writes in phonetics, the Pennsylvania Dutch accent, and I can't mock it to save my <laughs> life. Um, and it was like, it's a shame that the judge and district attorney wouldn't allow witchcraft to be mentioned. Yeah, in the not courtroom. at all. Because it was clearly the motive. They confessed to it. They mentioned it openly. Everyone knew. And so, I, what was the, the reasoning essentially is that they don't want York County to look bad. Yeah. So this, the whole, each one of these men, like, it is debatable how fair their trial actually was. And that's for like, that's for several different reasons. And um, one of them was that this was incredibly bar- embarrassing for York. It was embarrassing for the home of the Gettysburg, you know, or home of the Battle of Gettysburg. You know, it was embarrassing for 
Pennsylvania just Dutch culture. Pennsylvania Dutch culture people, in general. You know, because it's tourism mm-hmm. also. And it is the first thing that brought, like, all of these reporters. Reporters came from all over the country to cover the trials. And so they really had a sense that the world was watching what they were doing. So they did not want to appear like backwards hicks. Mm-hmm. And they did not want to appear like fools and Mm -hmm. idiots who are superstitious. And for that reason, they um, wouldn't allow any mention of witchcraft during the trial whatsoever, like the judge wouldn't. But even more so than that, they expedited these trials to make sure that each one of these people was tried like back to back to back to back within days of the crime. Yeah. So, you know, normally one these days, like something like that for each of them, this whole process could go on for five years or more. Yeah, I mean, it's years until you get to an exactly. actual trial. So, but I mean, back then they got it done in a matter of days. And I think it was, you know, like they started a trial like one day and then it was done the next day by 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. The defense had rested. And it went like that for every single one of them. And it makes sense, too, because the judge was censoring Mm -hmm. um, all these mentions, any kind of mentions of witchcraft or or hexery, which clearly would be at the the detriment, the the detriment of the defense. So the prosecution uh, is basically trying to, like, work his way around this rule in the questioning. Mm -hmm. And he keeps, like, I thought he had a bunch of really brilliant ways to do that. He, like, would bring up hexery in another person's testimony, unrelated, like, seemingly unrelated. And then suddenly they'd be like, oh, yeah, and you knew that John or that Ray Meyer practiced this, right? Like, it was just like a smack. Like, the jury got, like, one little glimpse of the witchcraft side of the angle, but then the, you know, the defense would always be like, what do they say? Uh, or what's the thing people scream? Uh, uh, objection. 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 It was all like that. The trials, all three of those trials were a lot of objections sustained, objections sustained when it came to that mention. And of course, like from, you know, so the, the theory of the district attorney's office was that, um, it had been the motive of the murder had been money mm-hmm. and that they went out there and brutally murdered him and killed him to steal his gold. Yeah. Um, you know, and then there's just not any evidence that he had anything really to leave anybody. Like, I think he left the house to his daughter. I mean, yep. you know, in his will, I mean, he only had like, he had very few earthly possessions. It was just land. But really. it, you know, like but that was their that was their explanation. And when you're, you know, and so the defense was relying on being able to explain how deeply ingrained like these sincerely held beliefs were about hexes and what you have to do about them. But the judge ruled like immediately early on in the case that um that this case had nothing to do with witchcraft and hexery and that he wouldn't be letting any superstitious nonsense like that essentially to be allowed in his courtroom, especially not with the world watching and the press there and, you know, all of Pennsylvania Dutch culture on trial, essentially. And so they were all kind of railroaded, in my opinion. Uh, I think, too, there was this culture of if you called out another powwower in public in a negative way, they would hex you. There was That was a common belief. And so the judge thought that it might even be kind of 
counterintuitive to even bring it up and try and because then you have to bring up the powwowers and ask them what they're doing and Mm -hmm. it it would create an um, even more of a spectacle and he thought that it wouldn't be a successful trial because people's people's own in the area there was such a prominent belief and that would get into their system and it's crazy that they didn't think of moving the trial why not just move it move the trial somewhere else like yeah, oh, I, yeah. I, there wasn't really a satisfying explanation for yeah. that either. So, what are our three theories that um, of why they killed Raymar? Essentially, is that what so, we're? Th- I think this this part one is mostly just mm-hmm. about is murder. So, yeah, absolutely. So, um, the three main things. So his motive was either greed, mm-hmm. robbery gone wrong, or um, two. Um, the story that the defense gives, which is that it's because of a hex that was placed on John. Um, and then three. Oh, what was the third one? <laughs> Wait, it, I, don't know I mean, you came up with them. money. It was. Yeah, I think that was, it was the gold. Just two. No, the gold. gold. It was either gold or witchcraft. Okay, yeah. So there's the theory that there that Raymeyer actually had secret gold hidden. Yeah, exactly. And, that and that's they what were I wonder. To go like, figure out is is there gold in Raymeyer's Hollow? No. Well, I mean, <laughs> well, no. I mean, okay. <laughs> I'm assuming. I don't know. Like, I'm assuming that if there was any gold, it would have been in his will, and that they would have found it in the family. So, who knows? But I'd sure yeah, like to check. Yeah, I think it's a little ridiculous to think that these men did anything for money. I mean, I think this yeah, was very clearly sense. entirely because they 100% believe that every pitfall, you know, becoming their family was because of a hex. You know, it's just... And unfortunately, so with the world watching, York did not want to be seen as soft on, uh, soft mm-hmm. on murder and superstitious. Yeah. Um... So I think uh, I believe Blymeyer had, what did he get? He got he got life in prison. Blymeyer right. got life in prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, Curry also had many years in prison, but I don't think life. He had life. Oh, but then um, later he had his sentence commuted, I believe, and he yeah. ended up being able to go home after. Was it fifteen years? Maybe? Yeah, because he eventually had like a family and a wife, mm-hmm. and yeah, so he did have, and like you know, that's that's really great. I'm glad that in the end, you know, justice was a little bit more served because he did commit a murder, mm-hmm. and it is unconscionable, yeah, conscionable. But he was a child, yeah, with and adults who are much more, yeah, with adults who were much more a very traumatized child, with two authority figures that. Should be they should be held responsible for him. I think the court recognizes that they're that children are not responsible for a certain amount mm. of what they do. Like they're you yeah. know that the people that are around them are are an influence and are a factor. Oh, I completely blame all of this on Blymeyer. He told Curry like what his intention was. He told Curry that this would fix his problems. Like. Curry wanted to help his friend, and that's all he knew. You know, like, it's, you have to imagine from, like, John's perspective, this probably isn't coming out very nuanced. It's probably just, like, we do this and the problem is solved. There's yeah. no more than that. Um, and there's probably definitely not forward thinking like or planning for the future. Part of the the fallout of this case is that the state, like, restri- they added more restrictions mm. by way of saying, like, you know, by enforcing that 
powwowing is practicing medicine without a license. Yeah. Um, so the problem was that there was one famous powwower that was kind of on the fringe of this whole story in that, like, he's sort of involved. He knows all the people. and his, Seen Ray Meyer. And his or, sorry. Yeah. God, his name's Cohen. <laughs> yes. So Cohen, he was a big-time, like, powwower practitioner um, who tried for people, like, all the time, uh, you know, curing things and, and doing faith healing, basically. Um, they wanted to try him on that so many times, but nobody was willing to um, testify against yes. him because they were afraid that they would be hexed. Yeah, I and I believe forgot. someone at the, I think the district attorney, um, when the one that had been pushing to try to get Cohen um, brought up on charges, ended up um, after like the second trial. Is this ringing a bell at all? Yeah. Like there, um, a bullet ricocheted into the district attorney's office and missed him. Yes. By, yeah. Like, it went into his filing cabinet. Yeah. And <laughs> everyone in the office was like, oh, it's man, you really was... shouldn't mess with that doctor. And he was like, up a shot. Like, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. like oh, it's, it's, it's he so had crazy. several unfortunate things to happen to him like around that time. And I think that could almost be a topic in and of itself. But like there were people that believed that they saw evidence that he was hexed himself for, even yeah. and, you know, speaking out against this stuff and prosecuting these people. And anyway, and it's such an ingrained belief in the community. Like yeah. every <laughs> single one of them is predisposed to believe that this is really going on. And it's almost like they're forming this mob mentality. You know, and I wonder if, if it, if there's even, if I don't think there ever could have been a different outcome for this trial or situation because I think it's also very much like my people to be like, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> Let's just focus on this over here, <laughs> and uh, we're going to keep that to ourselves. You know, it's very much to keep keep those parts of your family or your culture that are like private to mm -hmm. yourself, and. Um, you know, especially when it's in another language. That's what it's about. So so anyway, I don't know where I was going with this. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, that so that was the trial and then some yeah. interesting things that happened around it. Yeah, and, and so next week we're going to talk about some more of the urban legends and we're going to have my dad come on and tell an amazing ghost story, uh, or sorry, I guess a cryptid story about a black dog that was seen in Raymar's Hollow that's, uh, I guess, Still supposed to haunt the hollow to, to this day. We've got some really good stuff coming up. Yeah, we've got uh, another conspiracy shelf on cults in America. Absolutely. And then I'm working on a conspiracy shelf for a little farther away called Earth Magic about um, ancient neol or megalithic uh, monuments skinwalkers or no a uh, mothman we oh, went to mothman. point pleasant yes recently <laughs> on our way to pennsylvania we stopped in west virginia and it was amazing oh my god we have to tell everyone about mothman's daddy oh yeah mothman <laughs> daddy yeah so and on our so this was on our way to go to visit uh mel's family and to go check out ray myers hollow um we both decided to fulfill like i don't know if it was for you but it's like a lifelong dream for me or like a long time thing i've always <laughs> wanted to go to point pleasant okay well i've been uh, always been obsessed with okay. the mothman um so it was just awesome we got to stop by on the trip and when we were there we met a guy named mothman daddy and you yeah, take he, it from here we were like walking down the street he 
we're walking back to our rental car. We just had Mexican food. And this guy's just sitting on a bench drinking a coffee, like staring into an art gallery. And he's like, oh, where are you ladies from? And we start talking. Everyone in Point Pleasant was very friendly. So that was really cool. Mm -hmm. Like literally strangers, everyone was talking to us. Um, He... We start telling him that, you know, we have a podcast and we're here for Mothman and we went to the museum and he pulls out a business card that says Mothman's daddy. He was legit Mothman's daddy because when he says, you know, when he's like, oh, I'm Mothman's daddy, we kind of roll our eyes and get ready to walk away. Yeah. Right. Like Like, every woman knows when you hear something slightly maybe pervy come out of a guy's mouth Uh that you're just ready to run. (laughs) but he had a legit business card, and I guess he just was the he came up with the idea for the moth for the Mothman statue, and he arranged it and like knew the designer or something. So he uh, he calls himself Mothman's daddy, and I guess just sits down the street from the statue and like waits to give out his card. So I was such a cool, beautiful Riverside small town mm-hmm. um, with a lot of cool shops and museums and uh, points of interest. And bridges and the river and docks and all that cool stuff. So, like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just a really neat place. Yeah. We're going to do a whole Mothman episode. And maybe we'll email Mothman's daddy. Yeah. And see if he wants to come. Because I think he told us he was, like, an investigator during when it was all happening. He was like, oh, yeah, I was running around the woods. So, who knows what that means. But I'm excited to hear about it. So, so uh, come back next week for more Raymar's Hollow and... Uh, Check out our Facebook page. We have a fan group, Everything Under the Moon, and an Instagram and a Patreon. It's all EUTM, Everything Under the Moon podcast. Oh, and uh, please send us ideas, stories, yeah. anything. Tell us how your day's going. You can email us at tellmelandstell at gmail.com. That's two L's in Stell, one L in Mel, Tell Mel and Stell at gmail.com well thanks to everyone for listening we'll see you next time on everything under the moon with mel and stell